You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode 37 and we're recording on October 26th, 2014. I'm Katie Brisky and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mare Wilson and Paul Ellis. Hi, Paul and Mare. Um, Mare, how are you doing today? I'm doing better. I've been sick for like the last seven, eight, nine days, something like that, ever since I got back from my convention, and I supposedly got con crud, which I tell you is no fun, but the convention was awesome. So I'm finally back at the computer today um, after being um, a, a couch potato for the last week or whatever. So I'm, I'm alive and I'm well and ish, <laughs> and I'm glad I'm, to be here. I'm glad you're on the mend. Uh, how about you, Paul? Um, I'm doing really well. It's been an exciting week for me. Dave Robinson of uh, the Roundtable podcast fame has uh, asked me to take a look at uh, a project and consider collaborating with him on, and that's been really exciting. Uh, and Kane Dorr uh, of the Huntsman podcast, uh, among other things, he's got his fingers in everything, I think, has asked me to uh, do some spots for the Dark Justice Network. So that's uh, it's exciting for me because... I'm sort of coming in on the ground floor. It's a way for me to get my feet wet. Each myth-behaving show features a special guest from the literary world. It could be a writer, publisher, agent, editor, or anyone else connected with the world of publishing. Shh. Be very quiet when writing books in the library of a myth-behaver. That means it's time for something from the library of a myth-behaver. Today, we're discussing Agency Rules by Khalid Muhammad. This is a political spy thriller set in modern-day Pakistan. So, um, I actually really like this book. Part of I haven't really read many political spy thrillers before, I will admit. It's not my usual go-to genre. Uh, but I feel like this was a really good introduction to it, especially just because it was so detailed. It wasn't just about the intrigue, it was also very much about the characters as well. Uh, what did you think, Paul? I'm coming from it from a different direction. I love political spy thrillers, uh, and what I liked, I think, the most about this one was the character development. Uh, it was not just the two-dimensional going after the package or trying to save the the girl or the world, even though there was some of that involved. This was more uh, an introduction to not only uh, the protagonist but the culture as well. So that's what I enjoyed the most about it. Yeah, I really agree with you. You got the sense, definitely, that there's an entire world beyond what you were shown on the page, as you do. Um, and again, for me, I feel like when I say, you know, I'm not usually into political spy thrillers, it's very much because of the reasons you just brought up, that it's the two-dimensional, it's the very simplistic, almost formulaic plot lines, which you didn't find in this book, which, I, which is why I enjoyed it so much. And the introduction to different cultures, I think, is really cool about this book. also love how fast-paced it is. Mm-hmm, definitely. Khalid, I want to welcome you to the show today, and I want to say, Khalid, thanks for, for being here, especially since you're in Pakistan right now, and what did you say, it's almost 4.30 in the morning? Yeah, it's 4.30 in the morning here. Well, I'm glad you took the time to come and speak with us. No, I'm happy yeah. to be with you guys. I mean, talking about talking about this uh, this novel series, is it's uh, it's a lot of fun for me because it, it's gotten, it's given me a chance to, you know, share my Pakistan with everybody. Outside of what the headlines of, of most major newspapers and uh, TV news gives you, and there's so much more to this country than what than what you guys see in the media. 
So, I mean, this has just been, it's been a lot of fun to be able to talk about the book and talk about, you know, the, the country that the, the whole story is based on. Well, I'm particularly thrilled to have you with us today, Khalid, because you and I um, have belonged to the same writers group for about a year now. So it's always fun to have a, a friend come join us. What got you into writing? Um, I guess I, I guess I have to blame my seventh grade English teacher. Um, she started me out with uh, short stories and and little things here and there. I found it as a way that I could vent a lot of the things that were going on in my life without actually going out and well committing crimes. I come from a very troubled background, um, and because of that, I didn't have a lot of a lot of people I could talk to about what was happening in my life. So. Writing became an outlet for me. It progressed over time from short stories to I wrote a novella once and I wasn't really happy with it so I never even bothered moving forward with it. And about six years ago the agency rules idea came up and I sat down and I started doing a bunch of research into it and this story just it literally rolled out of, out of me as if I was writing my own life story. That's exciting when that happens, when th those characters and the stories just do that. I, I love when that happens. It's really exciting. Well, it yeah. makes it a lot more fun to write. I mean, when you're, when you can actually identify with the people you're writing about and actually understand where they're coming from and share that with people that are reading, um, I think it, it takes away that two-dimensional idea that you were talking about in the intro. Um, you can actually feel the characters. Someone said to me that you know I can I I can point out people that I know in my own life that are just like the characters in the book. Oh, that's fabulous to hear that. That's that's wonderful. So I'm curious then, when you say that when the agency rules idea came up, was it the characters then that came first, or, or was it the, the plot and the background first? Well, I think, I, I think it was twofold for me. Um, since the war on terror started, a lot of people have been talking about Pakistan in a way that, uh, well, for me being a Pakistani, I, I kind of take offense to it, because it's, it's very one-dimensional, it's, it's focused on, on the now, not looking at what happened in the past. And Pakistan has been struggling with terrorism and extremism since the Afghan war in the 1970s. But most people have forgotten about what happened back there, back then that's caused us to have an Al-Qaeda problem, a Taliban problem. And it gave me a chance to go back and tell the story from where we actually started from and how it's affected the country's, the, the fabric of this country. Because when people talk about terrorism, they talk about it from the point of view of terrorist camps. But when we talk about terrorism in Pakistan, we put it in the context of 70,000 Pakistanis have died from terrorist attacks inside of our own country. And for us, that's just a huge number to be talking about. And it's suicide attacks, it's bombings, it's attacks on our military forces, it's attacks on politicians. We, we never tell our story, and this gave me a chance to tell the story of what a, Pakistan, what a normal Pakistani feels like when that, when that happens in our country. Oh, that's incredible, and I think that passion really comes through in the novel, for sure. Thank you. Of truth and mythery. Oh, Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Uh, Khalid, please feel free to join in the conversation as well. Uh, our myth for today is... Edits are just to change typos and grammar errors. Go! <laughs> I, I have never been so fortunate as to have an edit be just for typos and grammar errors. <laughs> Usually my edits are, are a great deal of rewriting. Yeah, it's, well, they say writing is not, it's not writing, it's rewriting. Um, I had a short story once 
where it was literally just like three commas. It was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> um, I was killed for that day. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it'll ever happen again. It's like lightning striking. Um, but I definitely agree with uh, you, Paul. It's very rare that that happens. Um, and I think, I don't know. Again, I'm more of a planner, I guess, when I write. So for me, edits is a good chance to go back and maybe fix things in my plan that didn't quite work out. Or if you're a free writer, the thing that you just threw in that didn't actually work. Um, I guess I see editing as like a second chance kind of deal, like a dress rehearsal. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, for me, it's, uh, with, with this story, I spent a lot of time free writing. I did the planning mm -hmm. beforehand that this will be chapter one, this will be chapter two. And when I actually sat down and started writing it, um, the whole story changed. Because as the, as the words came out on the page, I went, oh, that's a really good idea. Let's expand this one. Let's expand this one. And when I went through the editing process, I ended up writing more and more and more. This book actually was something about 150, 170,000 words that we edited down to just under 100,000 because there was just so much in there. So it, for me, editing, I would love to have a day where it's just typos and grammar errors. But for me, editing has always been a rewrite upon a rewrite upon a rewrite. At, at what point during this process do you feel like you need to stop touching it? Do you ever reach that point? I see that's a hard question Paul because I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to my stories and I, I, I actually I write a chapter and then I give it to my wife to read and she comes back and says you know this makes sense but could you expand here could you expand here so I start expanding and then I added my own thoughts and my and a few more ideas and even after I published the agency rules I went back and I re-edited and I rewrote and I went no stop it <laughs> like the next book <laughs> I can sympathize with that. It's the, the 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 tendency to want to tweak forever. It's it. I think it's a. I think it's a habit for good writers that you end up going back and and finding things that you could have written better, you could have expanded better, and it's like an addiction where you've got to stop yourself before you fall back into it. Say no, wait, let's take this book off the shelf and start writing again. Yeah. Well, I think we're always growing as writers, so I think there is that temptation to look at, say, the beginning of the book when you hadn't quite gotten things figured out. And you can see how much better you can do it. But also, we're always growing as writers. Uh, so if we are going to keep growing, eventually we do have to turn our sights onto new projects instead of just uh, rehashing things that yeah. really we need to let out into the world. What made you choose the political thriller genre? And did you find getting some of the technical aspects of political thrillers difficult or daunting? Um, now, here's where, here's where you have to be a little bit familiar with Pakistan. This country is a political drama every single day. And you get the, our, our news channels every five minutes have a breaking news story coming out of the political, uh, out of the political world. Because it really is, it, it's like a comedy in this country when you watch politics. Um, so it made it really easy to write the political side of it. The hard part for me was getting the military side of it right. Because the language, the pace, the attention to detail really had to be on. Otherwise... The, uh, the, the military readers, the, the, the genre fans from, that, from, from the military and the spy uh, genres, they'd pick it off and go, no, this book, he didn't do his research. So I spent a lot of time going over um, some declassified uh, files. I went over some books. I watched a bunch of movies. I watched a bunch of TV shows. I talked to operatives. This book took me li literally six years of research to come together because I wanted to get it right. Um, because the political side for Pakistan, I mean, any Pakistani will tell you that politics in Pakistan were born politicians here. 
because you you are born into a political position and you either grow up with a mind and you learn how to change it or you become a sheep and you just follow that that line so it politics is easy for us here it's getting the other part of it right and not going into it because for most pakistanis the the natural target is talking about india um and i stayed away from it because i don't think india is our biggest threat i think our biggest threat is the taliban um and a lot of people said you know you should have written about india i said look everybody writes about india let's talk about where our real problem is and i got to bring in a lot of the the international flavor where people don't know how much influence foreign countries have in pakistan's politics they don't know how much influence they have in pakistan's military and as you read through agency rules the first book that's out right now and there's two more coming out at the end of november you'll understand a lot more of why pakistanis are i don't want to say it this way but they're very resentful of inner of foreign influence in in the country because you see how things are changed and how things are affected so when i wrote the series i i looked at it from that point of view let's let's talk about it from what the normal pakistani sees and let's let the rest of the world understand what happens here and why we feel the way we do it's time for myth print tips and tricks of the industry and now it's time for another one of our very special segments myth print includes a basic tip concerning writing marketing or anything else con- to do with the industry Khalid, what would you consider the most important tip for someone who wants to write in the thriller genre I think the most important tip I can give anybody when it comes to writing in this genre is do your research because there are it's the most competitive genre genre in my in in what I did what I understand spies thriller crime it is the most competitive genre when it comes to selling books because there's there, there's so much attention to detail there's so many things you can get wrong if you don't know if you don't know what you're talking about that will take your book out of out of uh the 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 potential of being read by somebody. So when I talk to people about writing in this genre, I say, look, do your research. Whatever you're writing about, make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you know the lingo. Make sure you know the the phrases that people use, because if if you don't, you're going to get called out as just someone who wrote a book. If you want to be accepted as as a good writer in this genre, you've got to know what you're talking about because it shows. I mean, in your writing, it shows. Oh, that's uh, really sound advice. Uh, so, Khalid, you've been doing this a long time, and we can tell in your answers that you're very passionate about this, and that's something I actually quite admire uh, just talking to you. So I have to ask, what do you love most about what you do? There's a couple of things for me that, that, that really excite me about writing. Um, I mean, the, 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 most, the most exciting thing for me is being able to tell a story um, that the world doesn't know about us. And I think that's something that to expose the world to a, to a country that most people will never actually visit. Um, and the only expo- exposure you have to a country like Pakistan is what the media tells you. That's a special feeling for me because there's so much to this country. I mean, it's a beautiful country. It's a wonderful people. And we're branded in such a way by by the world that y- you think that all we do is, is blow things up here. And that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing that draws me to it is there's... There's so many people that that would like to 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 say that you know they they tell a story, but there's a lot of history behind every country, and it seems like people have gotten into formula style writings when it comes to publishing books just to sell books. That we don't see anything new that comes out. And what we did, what I did with Agency Rules was I said, you know, I've read Clancy, I've read I've read uh, Lacard, I've read Ludlum, I've read all the spy writers, and I I like what the way they write, but. To go to the detail that, that I've gone to and try and build characters that you either love or you hate. 
but you get a gray area in there where you you're not really sure that you, I, I'm supposed to hate this guy, but I really don't because I understand what he's going through. I understand what he feels, but I'm still supposed to hate him. It made me a little squeamish when I was first publishing Agency Rules because I thought, you know, people are going to think, oh, he's, just, he's, he's trying to make a case for something that, that isn't right. But a lot of people have come back and said, you know, we really like this about your writing that you create a gray area for people that it's not black and white anymore. It's not terrorist and, and, and military. It's not good guy and bad guy. There's stories behind everyone that's involved in this, and, and we never know those stories. And I'll give you, I'll give you an idea of this. Um, as part of my research into the series, I visited a... Uh, what we call a reprogramming camp in in uh, in my native district of, of Swat. In 2007, the Taliban invaded Swat and took it over, and we had mass killings every day. There was, on a regular basis, six or seven bodies a day that were that were laid out on the streets that had been slit from head to toe. And I got to meet some of the people that had been arrested by the military and got to hear their stories, to listen to how they talked about how the, the, the mentality had been indoctrinated into them it scared me on one side and it made me just understand how people were so easily deceived into believing that what they were doing was right. So to be able to tell this story now to people, to people that don't understand what actually happens to these people, like for example, a suicide bomber doesn't go and do this by choice. They're injected with heroin and pushed out there. And the detonator is actually with somebody else. It's not with the bomber himself. And I didn't know that until I spoke to some of these people. I thought this was some crazy guy who puts on a vest and goes out and blows himself up. But these guys are drugged up and pushed out into a place. And then someone sitting in a building a, a, few mile, a few blocks away hits a button and boom. And you start going, wow, this, this is so much more than what we ever thought it was. It's, gotten to, it's, really, it's really increased what I know about, about what goes on in my own country. Um, it's given me a chance to tell other people about what really goes on when we talk about terrorism and we talk about suicide bombers and we talk about extremism and we talk about people perverting our religion. It really gives me a different flavor in the whole thing. So I think that those are the two things I really love about what I do. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's it's always so much more complex than we think it is. And you do such a good job of, of showing us that. Well, thanks. I mean, it, like I said, it's six years of research. I mean, the people I spoke to, I literally, there were times when I came out of talking to people in interviews and was just in tears because I couldn't believe this is what, what was going on in my own country. Well, that, that, that has to be scary. I'm sorry, Paul. Yeah, I can't that, even imagine. We're, we're, we don't realize how lucky we are sometimes over here in, in this country. And, and dealing with that, that that's just... You've given us a, a really fascinating look, I think, Khalid, and I think you're very courageous to do what you're doing as well. We've used the word passion, and we've used the word intensity to describe uh, your writing and, uh, and, and the way that you embrace the, the writing process. And I almost feel like I'm, I'm putting a hole in the conversational boat here because you, you've done such an outstanding job in your research and in putting that into the, onto the written page. Is there anything about the, the, the writing process that you don't like? Editing. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was just grammar and typos, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, I almost wish that, that I could do just audiobooks and just sit down and, and just tell the story because I almost feel like we lose a little bit of the emotion when I sit down and write the book because I can't bring all of what I feel into what I write. I don't think it's possible to bring every single emotion into what you write. But when you tell the story yourself, wow, it's, it's just a different experience. 
I guess the thing I don't like about the writing process is that I can't bring all the emotion that I really want to bring and get people to feel what I'm feeling when I'm when I'm writing these words because I'd had nightmares when I wrote Agency Rules. I'd, I'd finish a chapter and I'd go to sleep and I would have nightmares about what I'd written. And I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go back and I'd start rewriting based on what I dreamed and went, yeah, that now this makes sense. This This actually makes me understand what I was feeling. And it was a torturous process for me at times because this isn't a story I'm writing. This isn't something I'm making up. This is what's really happening in my country. And to live it and to feel it and then to sit down and try and explain it to someone and then sit back and go, what did I just write? And then you get you, you start thinking about, well, what if the Taliban gets a hold of this book? And mm-hmm. what are they going to do to me? Because they don't like the fact that, you know, people are actually telling this story. And I, I've gotten I've gotten threats. Um, I've had to disappear for a while. It's part of you know telling this story. But if we don't tell the story, no one will. And this is something that I mean, we as Pakistanis, I think we have to figure out that if we don't start telling the story, the narrative disappears about the country, and people don't realize what we're actually struggling with. This this isn't a game. This isn't something played on paper. This is really happening, and and it's it's decimated our country. This emotion that, that you hear when I talk about it, I mean, I would love to bring this emotion into my writing, but I just can't do it. It's that there's just no way. Have you thought about doing audiobooks and doing your own narrating? I've actually thought about doing a, a, a podcast series where I just talk about Pakistan rather than, than, write, than talking about the book, kind of connecting it to the stories that are in the book and, and talking about some of the interviews that I've had, some of the things that I've seen. Because I have two more books coming out in November, I haven't had time to actually sit down and start talking about it. Once these two come out, then I may sit down and start telling these stories because I, I really feel that I lose something when, when it comes to writing because I can't get that emotion out there and I can't tell the story the way that I really want people to understand how this, this story affects me. It's Again, I'm not making something up when, the, when it comes to this, this book this is what's really happened in Pakistan. And the next two books tell, will bring you right up to today when it comes to Pakistan. And it, it literally has shaken people when they've read this book and gone, oh my God, I didn't know. And that's what makes it, that's what makes it important. You mentioned earlier that you, do you outline, you mentioned that you had chapter one, chapter two planned, etc. Now, do you go ahead and plan every single chapter out like that in detail do you make a lot of notes or are you using a broad outline and then going in and flying by the seat of your pants and letting the book take you as you get into the different areas well what i did with the first book was i I tried to sit down and plan it out details um chapter one will be this chapter two will be this chapter three will be this this is what i'm going to talk about but when i actually sat down and started writing the book i had to throw the outline out because the story just carried itself um, and then I was literally, I'd write a chapter, I'd sit down, I'd make the outline for the next chapter. And that outline would be junk by the time I was, you know, 50, 100 words into the chapter. So I'd like to say I'm a planner, but uh, that would be lying because it doesn't work <laughs> for me. It ends up with, when I start to write, I, the story just literally, it flows out of me because I've lived it, I've seen it. I mean, I've actually seen the effects of some of these, these attacks. And to walk into into a, a city choke, I mean, think of it this way. Walking into Times Square and finding seven bodies laying there, heads cut off, bodies slipped from head to toe, as a warning. 
and you start it just comes out of you and you write the story and you go you go back and you edit and you go no it's not there it's not there it's not there there's no way i could write the, the outline for that story so it, it now it's become for me that you know okay chapter one this is what i'll talk about chapter two this is what i'll talk about and i just let the story play itself out wow again can't even imagine um khalid you also mentioned that you have two books coming out shortly uh do you mind sharing us with us a little bit about those projects yeah, um, it's the continuation of the Agency Rules series. Um, this is this was originally planned as a four-book series. The next two books actually take you from where we stopped book one, where um, you find out how messed up our political system is. You find out how involved our military is in, in actually running the country. You find out about how we actually have some dirty generals and some dirty majors in our in our, in our armed forces. And I think it's something we have to admit that we do have some traitors in, inside of our own country. Um, that has led to this problem coming up. But what you get in the next two books is you, I introduce a few new characters for you. Um, one is a, a kid who becomes a suicide bomber and you get to walk the path with him through the, the terrorist training camp and the suicide bombing camp. And you get to see the, pic, the, you get to see the story from, from what he sees. So it will expand more on how the indoctrination process works from the terrorists, with the terrorists. Um, and then we carry you into where we are modern day Pakistan, where you've got a war on, on, on basically half the country to end the scourge of terrorism. And you have the politicians on the other side saying, no, let's not fight them. Let's negotiate with them. Let's, you know, they're just, they're just upset and let's, let's, let's find out what they want and, and let's accommodate them. And, and you can't do that with a bully. Mm -hmm. These are people that only understand force. So when you beat them, militarily then they they behave and that's what we've seen um i don't know if, if the the u.s news has been following the story but since uh, i think six months seven months now the pakistan army has been at full-scale war with the terrorists in the the, the south south uh, north waziristan uh which is the terrorist haven it's right on the afghanistan border now the problem we have is that we've got the terrorists in pakistan go into afghanistan and they have safe haven there the Afghan government, the Afghan intelligence services have given them safe haven and they, they go there, they get food, they get medical care, they get rearmed and they come back into Pakistan and they, take, they, they launch major attacks against us. Prior to that, for a year, the government of Pakistan was negotiating with the terrorists, saying, look, tell us what you want and let's come to an agreement on you know, how we can stop all these attacks. This all kind of came to a, a, a blow when, when the, the Pakistan army sent a, a, a delegation to the Pentagon and said, look, this is what our plan is, uh, plan of attack is. And the Pentagon said, look, we'll support you from the Afghanistan side. We'll push them back across the Afghan border, and you take them out when they, get, when they step into Pakistan. And by the time they came back, by the, the time that the military delegation came back to Pakistan, the government of Pakistan said, stop all mil military action. We're going to negotiate. So you embarrassed our military. You embarrassed the country. And the U.S. forces on the other side said, we had a, we had a plan of action in place that we were going to end this problem for good. The next two books actually paint that picture for you of how the political world of Pakistan, who counts on these terrorists for their vote bank, the extremist uh, mullahs that, that get, count on them for money and support. And then you have the military standing on the other side going, look, we want this problem gone because you're killing our citizens. And you see how now you get that dynamic will now start to play out more. and You'll start to understand where we stand right now in Pakistan. And that's why these two books are, are very important. The first book was a foundational book to kind of give you the picture. Mm -hmm. these, two, these two books will take you deep into what, what the problem is. 
and show you exactly what we're fighting with in Pakistan, why this problem of terrorism cannot has not been ended in Pakistan since the Afghan war. Wow. Well, and I'm definitely looking forward for November. <laughs> yeah, there there is a lot that you have uh, opened our eyes to. And I'm curious, do you feel that uh, the changes that the publishing industry has undergone recently, has that uh, been positive? Has that been negative? How has that impacted getting the your stories published? Oh, if these changes hadn't come, I'm, I'm telling you, honestly, agency rules would never have been published. There's not a publisher in the world that would have touched this book. Um, I approached a couple publishers right before I went the self-publishing route. Uh, they read the first three chapters and said, oh, this is great. Send us the rest. Send us the first half of the book. By the time they got through the second half, the, the first half of the book, they came back and said, no way. We're not publishing this. The typical route for a Pakistani writer is to go to an Indian publisher and have them publish the book. Now, my problem with going across the border to India is that they only want anti-Pakistan books. They don't want a book that, that tells the truth about the country. They want us to bash the country. So if the self-publishing route that Amazon gives us and that all that Barnes and & Noble and, Kint and, uh, and Kobo and Apple and iTunes give us, if that didn't exist, this book would never be in the market today. It's safe to say then that you're happy with the changes. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, yes. Because look, I, I, I look at traditional publishers and I, I really hate to say it this way because so many people think that, that that logo means a lot to you. But when you go into a bookstore, you're not buying books based on who published it. You're buying it based on what your friends have said about a book. To think that you can keep a good story from coming into the market just because it's not commercial enough, that to me is it's way too much power for one person to have. And to open it up the way that we've got it now that, you know, you can say, look, I've got it. I believe in this story enough that I'm going to put my effort, my money behind this and put it out there under my own name. And, you know, knock on wood, let's hope it sells. That is a great opportunity for those people that have a story to tell and know that traditional publishers are not going to pick it up. That's an excellent point. I mean, that's that's a whole new dimension to indie publishing. When it when it comes from the the political arena like that, so that's an extremely important point, I think, Khalid. Well, I I, I think we've taken a beating. I mean, indie indie authors have taken a beating for for no good reason. When you look at it, most of your your innovations across music and software and technology have all come from indies. I mean, when 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 Windows was created, IBM left them out of the office. Today, you can't buy a computer without Windows on it. It's very it's kind of funny to me when you think about the number of indie music artists, the number of indies that are out in small clubs doing comedy, the number of people in garages making software and technology. Everybody starts from somewhere. And to say, well, no, we're not going to give them any credence because they don't have Simon & Schuster or HarperCollins or this or that on, on the spine. You're discounting a story because it doesn't have a certain label on it. But if you really think about it, you wouldn't have the musical artists you have today. You wouldn't have the technology you have today. You wouldn't have the bloggers you have today if it wasn't for indies. The myth number is... And now it's time for myth number, our word for the day. And today's word is, in honor of Khalid, thriller. Khalid, would you share some tips about marketing a thriller? Um, you've been doing very well on Amazon what are you doing to market your book? Well, I, I do two things. Um, one, I make sure that what the, the graphics that I use 
paint a picture for whoever's seeing them that makes you want to know what's written on the graphic. And now I, I use lines from the book. I use lines from reviews because I don't want to look like, you know, make a poster, buy an ad and, and sell like a traditional publisher. There's a story here. And for me to get you to be interested in my story, I've got to give you reason to be interested in the story. So I'll write blog posts. Um, I will put out cool little graphics that go with with, uh, the different uh, snippets from the book. Um, I'll give you reviews from from other people who've written the book. And I try and use that in a way to generate interest in the book. Now, I've, thank God, have done pretty well on Amazon uh, since the book published. And it keeps going higher and higher because people are starting to now talk about what, what the book is about. I think the whole idea behind marketing a thriller is forgetting the formula that people that people believe has to be the the way to market. You can't go at this from the idea of marketing a product. It's not a product. There's a story here, and you've got to sell the story. And the only way to sell sell the story is to tell the story, and that can be done from blog posts, podcasts, graphics, snippets. The only way you're going to sell the book is by telling the book story and let the book sell itself. That's cool. And of course, through marketing and through writing and through researching, uh, you get to meet so many people. Um, So uh, my next question, if you could have a dinner party with any seven people living, dead or fictional, who would you include? Seven people. I know it's a lot. It's a big dinner party. Yeah. (laughs) I I think Mandela would be someone I'd like to talk. I'd like to have at a dinner party just for the reason that the struggle that he's that he went through to to free his country from apartheid. Um, there's a lot of insight and intelligence there that that we I don't think we've even we've even scraped scratched the surface on what South Africa's been through. I'm a big fan of John Lacar's writing, um, so I'd like to meet George Smiley uh, because I think he brings a a great I, a great picture of what the intelligence world is really all about. Uh, Ian Fleming is someone I'd like to meet because he's someone that um, for most people has defined what, what spy thrillers are with James Bond. He brings a realism to a story that, that I don't think a lot of people understand how deep that story went because if you go to the original James, to the first James Bond books, it, Bond is very dark. He's, he's, he's not the playboy. He's not the lover boy that we see later on in the Fleming books. So, I mean, he's, he's, developed a character that you really have to understand and that's somebody that I would like to meet because the character development side that he brings to a story is just fantastic. That's three, right? Yes, that's three. I'm keeping track. Don't worry. Okay. Um, we have a general here in Pakistan that is, he's considered the, the father of the Taliban back from the Afghanistan war by the name of Hamid Gul. Um, a lot of people in the U.S. consider him to be the orchestrator of 9-11 I'd like to meet him just because he's he's so fanatical in some of the things he says that I'd like to pick his brain and figure out why he's so fanatical in, the, in some of the things he says about the world. Being that he was the he was the head of the intelligence services in Pakistan for for a long time, I think a lot of it is based on what he's seen. But he's gone to a different extreme when when he talks now, and I'd really like to understand what brought that extremism into his his thought process. Again, because I'm a, I'm I'm a little bit you know cracked in the brain. I like to meet these people that have really far out ideas. It that's the one reason I'd invite him. Um, that's four, three more. Me, Paul, and Mayor done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, you, Paul, and Mayor. 
I really don't know because he, the last three, there, there's, there's a spy writer from, from back in the, from the foundational days of, of spy thriller, espionage thriller writing by name of Helen McGeans. Helen McGeans books were required reading for allied forces, intelligence operatives during world war two, because they are, they were so detailed. They were so clear in, in the spy craft that I, I'd really like to meet her because she, her husband was uh, MI6, I think, during World War II. And she writes based on her understanding of spycraft from her husband. And the detail in her stories, wow. I mean, it, it brings a new idea to, to how spy thrillers should come together. Mm-hmm. Tom Clancy, because, well, he's Tom Clancy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I think I'd have to cut off at six. I don't think I have a seven. Okay, fair enough. What question do you never get asked that you wish somebody would ask you, and what would you answer? Is it true what they say about Pakistan? That's the question no one's ever asked me. Is is it true what they say about Pakistan, that we're a terrorist-supporting country and that we're all terrorists here? Um, how I'd answer it? Come visit Pakistan. Because the, the number of people that have thought that and then come and see Pakistan and having their mind blown when they land in cities like like I live in Karachi you land in a city like Karachi and we're no different than New York you have the same facilities the same the same city structure the same problems we have gangs here in Karachi we have drug problems in Karachi we have corrupt police officers in Karachi it's something you find everywhere else in the world it, we're nothing like what the world tells us. I, I took my wife to uh, Peshawar about three weeks ago, um, and it's her first visit to uh, Peshawar, and that's that's the area of the country that I'm from. Now, Peshawar, in terms of Pakistan's media alone, is branded as the terrorist haven, where girls can't go to school and everyone walks around in a burqa and women are oppressed. I took my wife up there, and she's a Karachi girl, grown up, raised, born in Karachi, and I said, come to Peshawar. Let me show you my city. She got off the plane and went, oh, my God. It's nothing like what the media says. And there were girls' schools. Every 15 feet, there was a school for girls. And girls were walking around in the market without, you know, head cover, without a burqa, talking to shopkeepers, behaving just like you would in a, in a major metropolitan city. And the only thing she kept saying over and over is, oh, my God. Why is the media telling us this? And this is our own country where people are telling us this. One visit to Peshawar changed her entire mentality about what that city was about. I really think if more people were to come and see Pakistan, or if more of us would write more about what Pakistan is really like, it would change the 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 the, the narrative, the image, the 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 belief structure of what Pakistan's about. You know, everyone has their own personal myths, Khalid, things that a lot of people may think about us that may or may not be true, their own personal myth behaviors. What myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true? Okay, I've got two, and these two are really fun. Um, (laughs) I grew up in the U.S. I, I was born in Pakistan. I left Pakistan when I was two years old with my family. My parents are still in the U.S., I came back to Pakistan in 97 um, because my mom wanted me to marry a Pakistani girl. And I did that, so my mother's happy. When I first came back to Pakistan, everyone said, everyone had this belief that I was a CIA agent. 
<laughs> because I spoke fluent English. I spoke fluent Pashto. Um, I got a job in one of the top tech companies in Pakistan. Uh, uh, I moved to Islamabad. I'm from the frontier region, which is the area where everyone believes that the whole country is backwards and the people oppress women and all of that. When I first got to, to Pakistan, people started to say, maybe he's CIA. Maybe he's, you know, one of them. And I, I, had, I had Pakistan intelligence following me for a while because they thought maybe he is CIA because the, it got, this myth got to be so big. It was through a, few, a series of meetings with the intelligence services where I finally dispelled the rumor and said, look, I'm not CIA. Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm going to come back to Pakistan and, and be a CIA operative. Have you lost your mind? You, you have a different um, idea of fun than I do, Khalid. <laughs> oh, yeah. it is, though. And then he wrote a political spy thriller. <laughs> yeah. But see, now this, I, I have to tell you this, this story and then you'll understand why this is so much fun for me. After I said, I'm very pro-military and people who know me know that I will, I don't tolerate people talking about our military in a negative way, especially Pakistanis talking about our, our military in a negative way. And people started to think that for a while there, they started thinking I was an ISI operative, that I work for Pakistan intelligence. And I have dealt with this rumor now that he's an intelligence operative. I'm going, have you lost your mind? I'm just a normal person who loves my country. Now, the fun part is, you don't write a book like this without showing it to the military because Pakistan's intelligence services, I don't know how much you know about our ISI, but it's everything everybody says about it. There's ISI operatives that are beggars underneath bridges, um, that are serving tea in, in uh, chai hotels. They work in government offices, and you'll never know they're an intelligence operative. But they're gathering information. They're picking up little tidbits here and there, tidbits here and there. And... You can't write a book about our intelligence services and not have it vetted by the army without being visited by someone in a uniform. So I wrote my whole book and I sat down and I said, hmm, should I publish or should I send it to the army first? So I sent it off to the army after talking to a few friends of mine who are in army service and said, look, it's a great book, but if you don't want to be locked up someplace for a while, <laughs> send it to the army and let them read the book first. Because you publish something like this and the army thinks, well, you've said something wrong. You're gone, buddy. So I sent it off to the army. The army read it and they came back and said, what a great book. And I got a green light to go ahead and publish. So the, it, this is why it's fun for me because I went from being a CIA operative in people's minds to being a Pakistani intelligence operative in people's minds and then actually writing a book about what the, the intelligence services do in Pakistan. So it's all fun for me because... This country, it, it is, I swear to you that this country is made up of people that are borderline Stockholm Syndrome uh, victims because you have some people that say, you know, maybe we should adopt the Taliban's point of view if it means people will stop killing people. And then you have another side of the coin where people are saying, let's just go to war and if we have to fight for 15 years, we'll fight for 15 years, but we'll end the problem forever. And you have literally two sides of the coin and there's very few people in the middle. And then you have these people that will say, well, you know, the army is the one that supports the Taliban. The army is the one that arms the Taliban. So why would the army fight the Taliban? And you're going, wow, what a vast difference in belief structures. It's a fun country to live in. It's a fun country to write about because everyone has their own idea of what's going on in Pakistan. 
No, I'm standing by my original statement. Different idea of fun. <laughs> <laughs> intriguing. It's intriguing, that's for sure. Oh, Definitely absolutely. Intriguing. And it makes me very excited to ask uh, this next question. So, what myth behavior do people believe about you that is true? Guys, he's actually a CIA agent. <laughs> no, I'm not. I would never admit that. If I was, I'd never admit that. Um, the thing that, that people believe about me that is true is that I actually really do love this country. Um, with all of its faults, with all of its problems, with all of its issues, I would not live anywhere else in the world. Because this is home. And the problem that we have in Pakistan, and I keep saying this to people, is the problem we have in Pakistan is that all the intelligent people left so we have, we've handed over the zoo to the animals. And you're not going to fix the country if every person who has a love for this country leaves. Because that leaves another 10, 15, 20, 100 people that would rather just steal and rape from Pakistan. This has been something that started back in the 1970s when General Zia took over the country because he Islamicized Pakistan. And a lot of people left because they were afraid that, you know, well, we're not just, we're not good enough Muslims compared to the standard they want. So rather than being beaten in, in stadiums or having our assets taken away, it's better to just pack up and leave Pakistan and never come back. That process meant that we lost some of the greatest talent that we had in this country, from doctors to engineers to educators to writers, all fled to the UK, the US, and have stayed there forever. What it's left is a vacuum here that has turned into one thief taking the place of another thief taking the place of another thief in a position of government. And we have no one else to blame for the condition that Pakistan's in today other than our own Pakistanis. So I, a lot of people like to say, well, it's a foreign hand that caused this. Well, yes, a foreign hand has a little bit to do with it, but it's wholly our fault because we've let these people run the country. So the one thing that people think about me that is actually true is that I probably would die for this country if given the chance. Powerful stuff. Uh, and I hate to say this now. I really do because this has been a great deal of fun and of uh, not just fun but uh, informative as, as well. But we've reached the end of our show. Khalid, thanks for being our guest. We appreciate you coming in and sharing your, your not just your story but uh, your life story with us. No, thanks for having me. I mean, it's, like I said, it's always fun to talk about Pakistan. It's always fun to talk about the book. Um, I think the stories behind the book are a lot more fun because, it, 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 like I said in the interview, it, it, it just gives you a better idea of what we struggle with every day. It's not all roses. It's not one point of view. It, this, this is a country with a lot of problems, and we're fighting to fix them. And it's not, you know, we're, we're not sitting back on our hands saying, well, you know, people think we're terrorists, so we're terrorists. We want this problem sorted out, and we stand behind our military to do so. We just wish we had politicians that did the same. Well, it's been fascinating having you tell us. I've, you've told me a lot of information that I, I certainly didn't know. You've opened my eyes, um, not only in the book, but in talking with you. And I greatly appreciate you taking your time and, and being so forthcoming and being willing to, to say what you've had to say, not only in your book, but in the interview itself. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the next book in the series, the next two books in your series that are coming out, you said, in November. Yep. And um, I'm, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Khalid. Well, thanks for having me. I, if, if we get a chance later on, I'd, l I'd love to do it again.
Yeah, I hope so, because these are stories that need to be told, both um, agency roles and also the stories that you've been telling us uh, tonight. Uh, so all of you listeners out there, remember, you can go to mythbehaving.com for more information on Khalid Muhammad and links to his books. Uh, you can also read his bio and find links to his uh, various and century social media sites. And don't forget, you can download this episode on iTunes or listen right on the mythbehaving.com website. Please take a moment to leave a positive feedback for us on iTunes, as that's how we move up the ladder. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Myth Behaving, and we'll see you next time. Hey, look, I'm first. I'm Paul. I'm Katie. And I'm Mare. And we are Myth Behaving, where reality meets fantasy. See you soon. This episode is copyright 2014 by Myth Behaving Productions, in association with Wireless Adventures, and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license.